And we're back, my friends, to the Friday edition of the Six Overtimes podcast. I'm Chaz Wagner here in New York. On the line with me in the D-Town is Scott Wildermuth. What's up, my man? Not a whole lot. Uh, just hanging out. Excited for the weekend to start and uh, excited especially for this little party I got going on Saturday night. There we go. The Steelers had a party against the Browns last night. Uh, that was a joke. Let's not even spend time on it. Come on. Okay. Well, yeah, there were some good Big East games last night. When We're going to talk about Wednesday night games, but mainly Thursday night had a, had a great set of games. We had UConn taking down a ranked Harvard team. They were undefeated going into it. Uh, West Virginia was also on the ESPN family of networks. They had a thrilling win over Kansas State. We had uh, Providence taking down a New England foe in B.C., ND taking care of business against Maine, DePaul beating Loyola, a uh, one of the Loyola of Chicago. I know there's many Loyolas out there. And then Louisville beating IUPUI and Rutgers, another tough, tough loss. But Scott, there was uh, there's some news across the Big East uh, taking place not on the court. Yeah, um, a little bit of shocking news, and it could sort of you know, lead to a little bit of an explanation as to why Nerdine Lindsay has really played poorly in the last couple of games. He's elected to transfer out of St. John's at the end of the semester. Um, you know, he, he sort of said all the right things, that he'll miss his teammates and all that kind of good stuff, but he did say that he envisioned when he came to St. John's that he would be playing for Coach Lav, and it seemed like he was a little disappointed how much time that He's actually been able to spend with uh, Coach Lavin. Yeah, I guess it shows how, even though he's not on the bench uh, for for the games, I guess he's not even there for practice. And I think Lindsey, coming from a JUCO, he was he really came to school for. You hear these kids that come to school for the coach, and this was this was a a classic example of it. Yeah, and it's it's too bad because you could see that the talent for uh, Lindsey was there, but he sort of you know, trailed off a little bit and he probably needed Lavin to be there more than uh more than most people need a coach like you were sort of alluding to. Yeah, so we'll uh we'll we'll keep watching the news to see where he's gonna leave at the end of this semester, so he's got about three more weeks of play and we'll see where where Nerdy and Lindsay ends up and best of luck to him. But let's talk about uh the first game on the docket, UConn taking down the Harvard Crimson. 67-53, we had Tommy Amaker, a former Big East coach. He was at Seton Hall facing off uh, against against the Huskies. Yeah, and, you know, I thought this was a game that I took last night. I took Harvard plus six because I thought that uh, the books sort of made it a uh, you better take UConn type of deal. And whenever that, whenever that number screams to take the favorite, it always usually means to take the underdog. And the reason why Harvard didn't stay closer than the 14-point margin at the end was UConn's excellent uh, perimeter defense held them to 7 of 21 shooting from behind the arc, which normally is the equalizer for a team that isn't athletically gifted as uh, as a UConn. Yeah, Harvard stuck with them in the first half, but as you saw that athleticism of UConn, it's going to play out over 40 minutes. Tommy Amaker's boys uh, aren't going to be able to hang hang with that. And where we really saw the athleticism, uh, Scott, you and me were talking about it, was was Andre Drummond with some of those uh, nasty 
takedowns. I think he was on the what Sports Center. A couple plays was on the uh, top ten of Sports Center last night. Yeah, he really just destroyed and played above the rim. You know, he was six of seven from the field, but five of those were dunks. And when you can get that efficient at the bucket, you're gonna do a lot of great things. And Drummond proved last night that he is an athletic freak, and he's going to have a great season in Big East basketball play. Yeah, that's the Samuel Dallenbear way of playing, just nothing but dunks that keeps your field goal percentage up. Is that a Samuel Dallenbear reference? I, I did say his Yikes. name. Yikes. Yeah. Another Big East guy, Seton Hall Pirate. Uh, what do you think of... Olander moving to the bench. I thought he was playing really well this year. Doesn't mean he's not playing well anymore, but now having Drummond in the starting lineup and Calhoun turning to Olander uh, coming coming in uh, off the bench. You know, he and Boatwright came off the bench, and both of them played more minutes than Roscoe Smith and Andre Drummond. Um, okay. So even though it is a uh, traditional starter uh, bench reserve player role, these guys are still getting major minutes, and I really like it because those two players coming off the bench, Olander and Boatwright, are really instant offense guys, and Olander's mm-hmm. a little bit more of a glue dude, and I like seeing it. I, I really think that it's a smart decision by Calhoun. Yeah, what about, you didn't mention DeAndre Daniels. Where is, uh, now that Boatwright is in, is he, has he lost the minutes? Has he lost some of those shots? Where uh, where does he fit in, into the uh, the UConn puzzle? Yeah, you know, I'm not exactly sure what to tell you on that. He only played five minutes last night, mm-hmm. and he in those five minutes he did jack up three shots, which is, you know, pretty impressive. But I'm not sure what the role is going to be for him. Um, he's clearly the eighth or ninth guy off the off the uh, off the bench for these guys, and. I don't see that changing. Do you? I don't. And which, when you're the eighth or ninth man at UConn or Syracuse, that means you would be the star at DePaul or South Florida, basically. Yeah, definitely a talented guy. So let's move on. Uh, another big win from a Big East team. West Virginia takes down Kansas State in Wichita, not not in Manhattan, Kansas, but this was obviously pro-Kansas State territory. It was interesting, uh, the dynamic of this game. Frank Martin with Kansas State, Bobby Huggins with West Virginia. Bobby Huggins was Frank Martin's mentor. Martin spent one year at Cincinnati. Then he followed Huggins to Kansas State and did a year. And then as it was cool, they, they showed some interviews with Huggins and Martin sitting down during the game, which I really loved Huggins' hat. I don't know where the heck he got that thing from, but that was pretty pretty impressive. But Huggins said he made a point, and Martin really liked this, was when he was going to Morgantown, he vouched for Kansas State hiring Frank Martin. I mean, he really went to bat for the guy, and you know, nice. it was nice to see them during the timeouts and, and breaks uh, have, some, have a feature about that. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see sort of a window in, in the relationship of two coaches that sort of had that history and that... Uh, you know, that shared experiences that the two of them have had over the years. And the thing that sort of came out at me, and I don't know if this, if you, you saw this or it stuck out to you, but when, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but 
Kalichka had a really <laughs> tough time at the end of regulation and, and uh, in the first couple minutes of overtime with two travels. Six turnovers. Yeah. It, he had a tough time turning the ball over. And this other guy, I forget what his name was for Kansas State, like made a – he didn't make the right cut. And when Kalichka came over to Huggins, you know, it was a clear mentorship sort of fatherly role that they were trying to instill some – uh, confidence back in in the big uh, forward from West Virginia, but Frank Martin just started screaming at this guy at the top of his lungs, and ESPN camera crew just caught everything. And I really thought it was an interesting, uh, dare I say, juxtaposition between oh, the two yeah, coaches and uh, and their styles. Well, both both coaches, their faces get really really red. Kind of like Brian Kelly's face gets really, really red. Huggins isn't as animated, although I think Frank Martin probably took some of Bobby Huggins' cues of being animated, in your face, getting on the players. But it seems like Huggins is a little more subdued and not going to lash out at the kids like like a Frank Martin would. But getting to the actual game... Uh, how about the the clutch play by Kevin Jones, that huge three that he hit at the end of regulation with about 15, 16 seconds on the clock. Kid is Mountaineers, awesome. Dude, he can do it all. I mean, he, you, you can see he can bang down low. He can obviously get a double-double without even thinking about it. <laughs> that helps the bet. And yeah. he, he ended up with a career high of, of 30 points, uh, 12 boards, but that three at the end of regula- regulation was, was huge, and that's what kept him, uh, kept him in this game. And if, if nobody watched it, it went into double overtime. It, it was a very exciting game. Yeah, before Kevin Jones got that shot uh, to tie the game, I was, I was sort of sitting at the timeout and thinking, who the hell is going to take this three? Because Chuck Bryan is not a great three-point shooter. And, no. you know, Brown is a pretty good three-point shooter and probably the best on the team. But, you know, he's only a freshman. And I just was racking my mind. And then, of course, they gave it to Kevin Jones. And Mr. Ice in his veins just drilled it in the face of a defender. It was, it was pretty awesome to see. It was a great finish to this game. It was. Chuck Bryant was one of seven from, from three. So you don't want him taking... That last minute shot. You talking about Aaron Brown? He had a huge three in the in the first overtime, which yep. which put them up and and kept them in the game. I thought this was Aaron Brown's best game as a Mountaineer. He had ten points in only twenty three minutes, and he picked up the slack where Jabari Hines did not have a good game. He he played really poor. I think he had only he only had two points. In uh, in only 24 minutes, he did have five assists. Keaton Miles, another freshman, you know he's not going to score. He hasn't shown any offensive ability. But nice to see Aaron Brown get some good uh, good contributions. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was surprised to see Hines pl- like basically disappear, and mm-hmm. it was on the tail end of your uh, top them. ten freshman guards. I think <laughs> you uh, you sort of threw him under the bus there. I didn't throw him under the bus. The pressure's on him. I, I mean, I was. I was uh, I had him at number one. If check out our our blog, we had the top ten freshman guards in the Big East through the first month of play, and I had Jabari Hines at number one. Um, other things from this game: the reason that West Virginia couldn't close them out, and also the reason that Kansas State couldn't close out the Mountaineers. On the flip side, it was both teams shot woeful from the charity stripe. Um, West Virginia was eighteen of thirty-one, and I swear I see that number. 
from from West Virginia every time. Like eighteen yeah. of eighteen of thirty, eighteen of twenty nine, nineteen of thirty one. Uh, Scott, I don't know how they're gonna gonna play in the Big East with uh, with such bad free throw shooting. Yeah, you know they gotta get easy points somewhere, and this is a team that I'm surprised could put up 85. To be quite honest, even in even in double overtime, so they're gonna have to convert a little bit better at, at the charity stripe because they just are gonna struggle to po- uh, score points every game. Yeah, they're pretty bad. Simple as that. Another side yeah. note about this game I wanted to bring up, Scott, was John Shamby. He's the play-by-play guy that did the game last night. He did it with Fran Fraschilla, and they're basically the Big 12 crew. Obviously, it was because it was considered a home game for Kansas State. But this guy is literally an oversized Andy Dalton. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sure he can't he, throw he, a pass like Dalton, though. He's hilarious looking, but if you're just watching the game and you're hearing his voice, I literally would think he's one of those small, uh, like a Sean McDonough or someone that looks like me, like 5'9", 150, and then... <laughs> And then they come back from the timeout, and they show the the picture of the two guys, and he's this oversized ginger guy, and, and he he's one of those guys where his voice does not match uh, his actual appearance. Yeah, it's all it always throws me off when you have this mental image of someone, and then it's <laughs> totally different. It really just throws me for a loop. Yeah, you think he's this ser- little probably went to Syracuse. He's this little little guy with glasses and real real pipsqueak and and, and weasel guy and he t- uh turns out to be this this giant. But anyways, let's 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 go on to your uh Provident Providence Friars took down BC 64-57 and the Cooley the Kool-Aid keeps on keeps on trucking, huh? Yeah, and uh, congrats to Ed Cooley on his 100th career victory last night. Uh very cool to see and you know, he said something after the game. He was like, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to 101, which is something that you, you know, expect from coaches nowadays. But he also said, I want to coach my 800th victory at Providence. And that just got me all fired up. That got me ready to go and rip-roared and pump for the Friars and pump for Friar Nation going forward. I mean, it's going to be... If he's going to be there for a long time, their recruiting is going to improve so much better, and they're just going to be a, a force to be reckoned with in the Big East, especially when it gets a little bit more depleted. Yeah, this guy's a visionary. All, all these statements he said in his introductory press conference and throughout the year, they want he wants to be dragged out uh, on his deathbed uh, from the Providence bench. He he wants to retire there, and, and uh, it seems like he's getting off to a good start. Yeah, and you know another guy that's that I'm sure is going to be in your um, in your top ten forwards uh, for freshman column next yep. week is Ladante Henton, who has for really sure. just been crushing and really been playing well in his last three games. He's averaging 18 points and nine rebounds. In this particular contest, he had 21 points and seven rebounds. You know, it seems like he's emerging not only as a leader offensively, but the most consistent scorer and the most efficient scorer on their team. Yeah, he was Big East player or Big East freshman of the week by by the conference, and he's definitely going to make it onto my top ten bigs list. We'll see where he he falls depending on the games this weekend. Um, yeah, he's playing well, and 
you know, we're get, getting the contributions from Vincent Council had a nice game, although he chucked up, what did he chuck up, 17 shots to get? 17 so it, points, yeah. Yeah, it was almost an Ashton Gibbs-esque uh, 17 points where he yeah. had to work really hard to get to that. But the dude dished out eight assists, so a lot of those were going to LaDonte Henton, so it seems like there's some nice chemistry and, um, you know, good good floor presence emerging between between those guys, like you said. Definitely. And the one other thing that I want to touch on before we uh, we move on to the Notre Dame game was they got a lot of really good minutes out of uh, this guy Jiplay, Kofane, and uh, Dixon, who basically combined for about 30, 35 minutes, like a starter's minutes. They got um, not too many points, you know, 15 points, but they got... 20 rebounds and nine blocks out of those three guys. And, you know, I I think that's the key to victory. When you have four other guys that can score the basketball, those three guys have to really concentrate on defending and altering shots. And and I was really excited to see how well they played. And I guess it's not in tandem, right? It's in triplin. Make make it up. Make up uh, six overtimes. Triplin. Just did it. There it is. Talking about scoring the basketball, Notre Dame and the main Black Bears. This was an offensive show. If you uh, if you like that kind of style of basketball, ND took down Maine, eighty-seven to seventy-eight. This was an up and down game. I watched most of the first half, and you knew it was basically you knew that each time was each team was going to score every time up the floor. It was just whether it was a, a two-point bucket or a three-point bucket. I mean, there was very little defense played played last night in South Bend. Yeah, I saw a couple of uh, a couple of minutes of this game, and it just whenever Jack Cooley goes off for twenty-two points, it's just it's it's atrocious defense. Um, it, it I saw one play where he got the ball at the top of the top of the foul line and. He sort of just had his own way with the main defense, and I, I, I don't know what to say. I'm a defensive-minded guy. I like to see good defense and and tough tough basketball, but I I'm at a loss. Yeah, the defense. Uh, Notre Dame and Mike Bray's teams have never been known for their defense. That's not been their DNA, but you got to see better defense coming out of these guys because when you're giving up 78 points last time I checked Maine wasn't uh, an offensive machine as as they displayed last night so what I mean what do they have to do to really hunker down and and you know play play some good defense Scott yeah I don't know what the answer to that is either especially with Abramitis out you know they're down to only a couple forwards left and I think they're going to have to turn a lot, uh, turn the ball over a lot uh, from the guards, be it Atkins and Jerry and Grant. We'll we'll see how we'll see how they do for the season. I mean, they only had three steals last night. That's not going to get it done. So no, they got to find Eric- other ways to turn the ball over and, and make sure. That, and they have to rebound it exceptionally well, also Ex- exceptionally. Uh, Eric Atkins played exceptionally well. Twenty six points, six assists. He seemed like he was playing at a different speed than than everyone else on the court. This was really the first game that uh, I haven't watched Notre Dame much this year, and and he it just looks like he has he has good length for a guard. Um, yep. Yep. 
it's almost like he takes really big, you know, those guards that just their steps and their strides are a lot longer than others. And it helps them, especially in the, in the paint, in the lane. And he's one of those guards. Yeah. He's a nice player. I mean, I think their backcourt is pretty much set for the next two years or so uh, with yeah. Atkins and Grant. I've been very impressed with Atkins so far. The only thing to say is that a couple of games he's disappeared, but you know, mm-hmm. I think that sort of happens and when they were doing the Abramitis thing and he came back for a couple of games and then, then he's gone. So look for him to continue to take this role and you know, he's gonna be a matchup problem for every team in the uh, big east because like you said He's an athlete, he's a good player, and he's going to be difficult to guard, whoever's guarding him. Yeah, so tell me about another Midwest Big East team. Tell me about the your DePaul Blue Demons taking down a Chicago rival, uh, Loyola, Loyola of Chicago, the Ramblers. You get that out all right? Uh, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, the story was in, in the first half, DePaul was up 47 to 17. They're up by 30, and they only ended up winning by 11 uh, due to a 19 or a 17 nothing run by Loyola in the second half, which had me a little bit shaken in my boots because I took uh, DePaul minus four and a half. So yeah, was 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 it a? It had to be a lack of focus where they got up huge, 30 point lead, and then they allowed a huge run by the Ramblers that came. They came storming back to actually make this a single-digit game in the second half. Yeah, that's really the only explanation that I have. As But the only thing that I, I want to look at this as sort of a holistic uh, look at their players and how they're getting contributions and stuff like that. And You know, Melvin continues to shoot poorly. He went 3 of 12 in this game, and... I really, I, I'm. Str- I said on Monday that I think that they'll be okay if they can, that they can get other scoring from other players. But you know, this guy uh, Moses Morgan continues just to not be terribly efficient. He had 11 shots in 13 minutes, and it seemed like he was just jacking it up to jack up. And this guy Crockett, you know, he had 11 points on nine shots, but he fouled out in 15 minutes. So. Between the two of them, they had good games against Loyola of Chicago, but you're supposed to have good games against Loyola of Chicago. What happens when they're playing a little bit more difficult of an opponent? I don't know. One of their bench guys, this Charles McKinney Scott, I was considering putting him in my top ten freshman guard list. Good thing you did. And good thing I didn't. His stat line was one point. Well, he had four assists. I guess that's okay. One point, four assists, three rebounds, uh, two turnovers. So uh, he, he wasn't scoring, but I guess he, he contributed okay. But, yeah, I, I had him between. I don't know how much you've, you've got to see him play. I had him between uh, him and Anthony Collins at that 10 slot for uh, freshman guards. Well, I think you made the right call by putting Collins in there. But McKinney is getting uh, – he's the first guy off he's getting the bench minutes, for these yeah. guys. So he's yeah, obviously so. impressing someone over there. And Chris, it looked like Chris Faber had uh, had a decent game. Yeah, right? he went for twelve and eight, and that's something that you gotta continue to hope to see out of Faber because, like we were talking about, the inconsistencies on uh, scoring the basketball for these guys behind Young and Melvin, of course. And mm-hmm. you know, if Faber can be that third guy, I think that'll be a huge boost, and not only for that, but just to be a big guy in the center is important. 
Yeah, he's almost like a Yancey Gates. You, you ex- such a big body, you expect more out of him, but for whatever reason, he just doesn't have the output and the, the numbers that you'd like to see. Exactly. Uh, let's move on real quick. Not much to say. Louisville beat uh, IUPUI, the Jaguars. Jaguars, that's how we, I say it. I've had a heated debate with people. They pronounce it Jaguars. Yeah, I think you're wrong on this one. I'm right. Where I grew up, we all say Jaguars. So we're going to put that up on the blog and see, do a poll and see how it's it's properly pronounced. Anyways, 90 to 60, Louisville over IUPUI. Chris Smith gets joins the 1,000-point club. Always nice to see that. I didn't think he was anywhere near that number, Scott. Yeah, I was surprised to see that as well. Uh, he had 19 points in this one, matching his career high. So congratulations to Chris Smith and... You know, he, he's had a nice season so far. He's been a good player, a good little offensive spark for these guys. Yeah, we. I think we. what we've seen, Scott, what we can take away is every single team, top to bottom, from UConn, Syracuse, Louisville, Pitt, all the way down to the, the bums of the bunch, teams struggle in the first half. Uh, Louisville did this against IUPUI. Syracuse has done this against... Uh, some some lesser teams. It just happens. It's stuff that happens in this this early going. Yeah, and Patino was just not happy in his post game interview after uh, the, how Louisville played in the first half. And you know, I, I Chris Smith agreed with him, and I think it's just a motivational tactic. I mean, I think that's pretty clear. But I, I don't know. There's there's really not much to take away from this game except Louisville is better than IUPUI and by a lot. And Rakeem Buckles uh, came back for the first oh, he game did. Of, his, of his season. So That's huge. It's good to see him back. Very, yep. very uh, good freshman. I'm, I'm pumped to see uh, see him come back. Game that we yeah. game that there is stuff to talk about. Rutgers losing to a Route 1 foe, Princeton. 59-57. to 57. Yeah. Rutgers continues to struggle to score. They didn't score in the first seven minutes of the game. So they got down. They were they were down most of the game. Princeton even got the lead out to 17 in the second half. That's disgusting. And they tied it up by going on a 20-3 to run, Scott. But at the end, in, in Rutgers fashion, they found a way to lose. And in this case, uh, this Ian, was it Ian Hummer? Uh, for for Princeton, hit a bucket with under three seconds on the clock to uh, to win by two over Rutgers. Yeah, it was an exciting finish, and unfortunately it came out on the wrong side for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. But if you remember, on Wednesday I, I said that I might even take that uh, Princeton to win. Remember you got that? it. Huh? You're, huh? you're huh? getting not only the lines, you're getting good at the, the all-out games as well. Yeah. But it was it's tough to see and what do you th- wh- why is it taking so long for these offensive and defensive sets to really click for these uh, this Rutgers team? Well, I think it's akin to not just this Rutgers team, but what Scott's referring to is the reason they sparked this twenty to three run was a full court press that they they put on Princeton to create some turnovers and some added pressure. And really get the um, get more of an up tempo game. Question I have is why, you know, it's like the two minute drill. You see these teams that struggle 
in football to get their offense clicking and get going and all these three and outs. Then they're like, oh, we're going to run a two-minute drill in this hurry-up offense. And all of a sudden, it starts clicking, and they go down and score a touchdown. It's like, heck, why weren't we running this the whole game? you got to ask this question of Mike Rice. You know that we said in the preview the other day, they're more athletic. Why don't why don't you pressure this Princeton team in the full court? Exactly like in the full court. Exactly like Providence did against Brown. Yeah, but you know, exploit this this run. this unathletum as as you like to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just run up and down the court and just beat them to the basket every time, and they really didn't. And you know, a guy who just continues to disappoint both of us over here is. Dane Miller, and what is he? Why isn't he taking more of a leadership role? Why is he looking to put it on other players? And I just—he's not stepping into and becoming the player that both of us, I think, thought that he could. Yeah, be. it's a sad story. And as as we, after we get done talking about him, it's like, well, we shouldn't talk about him anymore. But his post-game comments were just absurd. He said, "Everybody wants to be that guy." Speaking of selfishness throughout the team and not playing as one unit and buying into Mike Rice's system. On the other hand, it comes down to somebody needs to be the guy. You know, they've had these close games against LSU and now Princeton. Okay, you play as a team most of the game, but in the last two minutes of the game, somebody has to say, I want the ball. You know, like uh, Kevin Jones last night, he wanted the ball. He wanted to take that big shot, and Dane Miller and Austin Johnson and Gil Vides Baruta, even though we like Baruta, these guys are upperclassmen, and they, they haven't stepped up for in those clutch moments. Yeah, it's it's bad to see, but you know what? I, I'm sick of talking uh-huh. about Rutgers basketball, That's so it. let's move on to our uh, players of the night. Players of the night, why don't you start out? I think I know who it's going to be. I'm going with Andre Drummond. I was really impressed with how he played against Harvard. I mean, granted, Harvard's not that huge underneath the forward position, but he really dominated the game. He got a lot of easy shots. He got a lot of high uh, high probability baskets, and he, he poured in 12 points, and I think he showed a lot last night why he was such a highly touted recruit. Yep, him and Boatwright are some awesome freshmen. Yeah, definitely. Who My player of the night is Mr. Dynamic, Mr. Double-Double himself, Kevin Jones. 30 points, 12 boards, big shots all around. This guy can basically do it all, scoring uh, down low on the low block and hitting it out from three. And I'm interested to see, you know, we can give this guy a player of the night basically any night, but when you hit a big shot on the road like this, you know, he deserves a, a championship belt from the, the 6-0-T team. Definitely, especially when he pulls out the win. You know, he had a he had a fantastic game. Really yeah, well, let's, let's, Scott, let's move on. There's uh, 13 games going on. This weekend. Are they all on, I believe they're all, okay, 12, we got 12 on Saturday, and then we got one on Sunday. Uh, the big ones out of this. We have the Skyline Chili Cross Down Shootout. What does that What oh, does that mean? <laughs> Cincinnati <laughs> Cincinnati plays at Xavier, a really good Xavier team. Who I watched them the other night. They won at the Hinkle Fieldhouse against Butler. Two What's his name? Two Holloway, 
and uh, Freese, the huge, big, white boy, farm boy. I'm interested yeah. to see him go up against Yancey Gates. Two huge bodies, see how they muscle it out down low. And uh, so we've got that game going. Another big one is my Pitt Panthers coming out here to the Garden playing Okie State. That's part of a doubleheader. Duke and Washington is the noon game. Okie State and Pitt is the 2.30 game. I believe I'm going to head over the Garden for those games. We've got a Big Five uh, afternoon affair with Villanova and Temple. That should be a good one. We have, oh, there's just so many good games, Scott. What else we got? I know it. Uh, we got Miami of Florida visiting West Virginia. Uh, that's a evening game on ESPN2. And then the, the big one, the prime timer. Wait for it. I mean... I mean, yeah, this is the biggest game of the night, clearly. It's uh, my Wake Forest Demon Deacons are visiting uh, Seton Hall at 8 o'clock on ESPN. Yeah, when it's when it's exclusively on ESPN 3 in primetime, you know it's a good... Exactly. <laughs> you know it means it's a big that affair. everyone's just going and they, they need to watch a little Wake Forest Seton Hall basketball. But I think Herb Pope's going to have a, have a big game here. Uh, I, I hope he does. Uh, I want Seton Hall to play well this year and be a you know a force to be reckoned with uh throughout the big east yeah me too uh they've become one of my favorite teams this year to watch and um basically what we what we're trying to say here is that we have a fantastic slate of games on saturday uh to fill in for the first non-college football saturday of the year and you know honker down get in front of the tv and watch watch some uh watch some hoops pre-nba and pre-Saturday NFL. Look at this. I know. This is the weekend for college hoops. So you don't, we won't have many after this, but let's enjoy it while it lasts because uh, I know I'm going to continue to watch college hoops even when the NBA starts, but I know there'll be a lot of people going back towards uh, the pro ranks to watch, get their, get their hoops fixed. Definitely. And uh, – with that said, there are no games on Friday night uh, when we're recording this, so I have no bets for you because they haven't opened up. And, you know, st- stick around and visit the website, sixovertimes.us, or on Twitter at sixovertimes to follow my bets uh, on Saturday. So And check it. We have a, on our website, we have a Dropbox player, meaning click on the button, click on the link, and send us, you can just press the record button, or if you have a pre-recorded uh, audio file, which I don't think you would, but maybe you are so inclined to record your own audio tracks about DePaul basketball, please send it uh, Please send it over to us, and we'll put it on the air for next week. Yeah, and uh, we're very excited for, for that. That's going to be a cool feature on the website. Um, and as always, thanks a lot for stopping by and checking us out at sixovertimes.us. Uh, for Chaz Wagner, I'm Scott Wildermuth. Have a fantastic weekend, and make sure to hit us up on uh, email and on Twitter and, and talk a little college troops. Peace. A fantastic Friday. Yeah, yeah.